0: So this, uh, what we've just expe- what you've just experienced, the, the women's conference, it really relates to what we're going to be talking about today in the Word. And I'd like to ask you to take your Bible and turn to Colossians chapter 1, and we'll pick it up here in verse 24 in just a second. Now, quiz time! Who wants to answer the question, what is Reconciliation. Hmm. Oh, who wants to give it a whirl? What's reconciliation? And no elders. Sorry, Dale and Bill and Brandon. Or maybe we should pick on you. <laughs> reconciliation. I know you're Andrew. Okay. It's got a little bit to do with forgiveness. Okay. Reuniting, okay, and forgiveness has to happen there, but reuniting is the the core idea of it. That uh, two parties that were once enemies are now reunited. Thank you, Sarah. Restored and restored to fellowship, okay? So, that, yeah, the idea of reconciliation, it's a, it's a word we don't throw around a whole lot ourselves, but we are, we've been looking at it in the Bible and seeing it. And um, Paul has just been explaining uh, who Christ really is. Remember that? Here's who Christ really is. And he's writing that to the Colossians. And we need to be reminded of it. More than just an, a movie idea in our minds, but the truth of the Bible coming forth of who Jesus Christ really is. And then he goes on to say, and here's what he he's accomplished. And what he's accomplished is... This word reconciliation. That's what he's dealing with in Colossians chapter 1. And that two parties are now brought together. And God, as being one of the parties, he didn't do anything wrong. (laughs) He didn't do anything wrong in, in the enmity that existed. It was you and me. We were the enemies of God. And Jesus brought us together, reunited us with God as The way it was supposed to be. God created man and woman, Adam and Eve, in his own image. And they violated God's law. They rebelled against it. And thus, a relationship was now broken. And that still exists for, maybe it exists for you, sitting here right in this room this morning. That your relationship has not been restored or reunited with, with God. And therefore, you are an enemy of God still. The Bible says it. You're an enemy of God. And yet, at the same time, you're a creation of God. And God would want to restore you to a relationship with Himself. And it's through Christ. Okay? Now... If you are reconciled to God through Christ, okay, now Paul goes on in verse 24, and he now explains what, uh, to the Colossian Christians, what true ministry ought to look like. True ministry in light of being reconciled to God. What do I mean by ministry? Well, what we do in church. That's ministry. It ought to be ministry. You've seen a, a part of it this morning with here's um, people leading in in singing and helping with the music and the atmosphere of praise and worship. That's a, a little part of it. Um, you saw it. You ladies saw it this weekend. There's ministry going on. It's not just a social club, right? It was here's ministry happening. Okay, so Paul is explaining to the. He's taken a shift now in his his writing. He's saying, here's what every, listen, here's what every Christian was designed for. Now that they're reconciled, here's what you're designed to do. And that's ministry. They're believers in Christ. They're members of his body, the church. And he does this by pointing out his own personal ministry, Paul's. He's really highlighting what he's been called to do. But all of us who are believers can join in that train and follow in that way of, of understanding ministry because of what Paul is saying in his letter here. And why would he speak of his own personal ministry? Well, when Paul speaks about ministry... What he's doing is he's just elevating the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. He's elevating the gospel of Christ. And he's wanting to model himself. He wants to be the model of what gospel ministry should look like. Now, you know, uh, I think you know what, what it means, this idea of, of his example and such. But here's what I liken it to. And we want to carry this thought into the body of our message. And it's this. I liken it to being selected to a team. You're selected to a team. Um, any one of you that, you know, you, you, you look at it and think, oh yeah, I remember those days. Um, I was selected to this team, let's say. And I got the uniform. And the uniform is really cool. It really looks excellent, you know, on... Whew, Yeah, we're going to do great. But if you never get to a game, what's that like? It's pointless. Folks, it's pointless. And here's what he's really getting at. God has chosen you. You didn't choose Christ. God chose you. And you responded in what? Faith. You responded in faith. You're a part of His body. You're a part of the church. You're on the team. You got the uniform. And the idea is, that you'd be involved then in game time. Right? That's what Paul's really driving at in this passage. So, follow along with me. Verse 24. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. By the way, um, before we move on, look at verse 23 at the end of it. He says, Of which I, Paul was made a minister. He said, I was made a minister. Okay? And then he goes on to say, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a a minister. There he says it again. I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. So that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That's what he's been doing in his ministry. He's been giving forth the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, verse 26... He goes on to say, the mystery which has been hidden from age, uh, from past ages and generations, but now has been made manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay? So what we have here this morning, and if you have... Your outline, you can follow along. That's in, it's in your bulletin there. There's really um, just three basic points of here's what genuine gospel ministry is about and what what it entails. And the first one really is is uh, not even mentioned in the outline, but it's the fact that Paul says I was made a minister of the gospel. And so, through, throughout this time, we'll try and hit on what that really is. We'll get on it, uh, especially in the second point. But the first point of ministry of the gospel is very interesting. And really, I would have never figured it out like this unless it was for the Word of God. And I don't think any one of us would have put it at the top of the list. But for ministry, genuine gospel ministry. What does he say in verse 24? I rejoice what? (laughs) In his suffering. Sufferings for your sake. So number one, suffer joyfully. Suffer joyfully. I'm not the best spokesman for this, I have to admit, right off the bat. But on we go. He says, I, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. It's obviously for who? The church. Wait a minute. Didn't we just say that, uh, in previous weeks that Paul never visited this church? What's the deal? How can he say, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake? and that's what we'll look at in this first point. Under number 1, suffer joyfully, we have letter A, the reality. The reality. And then letter B, while you're writing, why not let's just keep going, the reason. The reason. And then letter C is the response. The response. He's he's basically saying, "Hey, I'm glad I welcome it. I'm glad. I'm going to rejoice. And this is basically foreign language to us. In America, it's foreign language. It's like it's a foreign concept. We hardly get this. Shame on me. Shame on us. It's because of our upbringing, our background. Here's here's what we're like. We we go after comfort zone Christianity. I admit it. And each one of us should admit it. And not, not that we're trying to go look for, you know, being pressed and, and, you know, put into tribulation. Not that you go looking for it for the purpose of saying, hey, I got it. I, I've been suffering for Jesus. You don't go looking for it in that sense to, you know, put the little points on the board for yourself, spiritually speaking. That's silly. It gets to how we're living and how we're responding to life situations. That's what it's really getting at. The reality of suffering, letter A, the reality of suffering is that a believer is going to suffer because of Christ. Simply stated, because of Christ. You mark down this reference, John chapter 15, verses 18 through 19. He says, hey, if you're going to follow me, you're going to suffer in the world uh, John chapter sixteen he says in the world you 'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer i 've overcome the world, okay, but you will experience suffering now this is this if you look at this verse verse twenty four if you really look at it and and think about it, you know what? it sounds like we ought to be um going to look for suffering so that we can fill up what was lacking and then it sounds like on top of this that well that what does that mean does that mean that christ and his suffering didn't complete what was needed to be suffered and you most of you are saying uh-uh, no 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 but a lot of people they will say yes I guess I better be suffering because of what Paul says in this verse, verse 24 that says, I need to fill up what was lacking. And so people, especially of the Roman Catholic persuasion, will figure I need to suffer and pay my part of the share. And I need to, I need to suffer in that sense because I, I've got to fill up what was lacking. All right? It's very subtle, but this verse especially has many different interpretations. And so we've got to understand what's really going on, what's really happening. He says that I share on behalf of his body, which is the church in filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, the the first word he says there, I I rejoice in my. In my sufferings. We have to understand that first word. And that first word is for the it's the idea of tribulations and such. But it's interestingly enough never used in reference to Christ's sufferings. Never used in regards to what Christ had to suffer. Okay. What Christ had to suffer was regarding his atonement. Paying for man's sin. And he suffered. The atoning sacrifice of Christ. Is it needing completion still? It's not. It's a done deal. It's completely. It's altogether complete. Our Savior did it all in his sufferings. And he paid the ultimate price. And at the same time cried out from the cross it is finished and that's referring to his work it's finished and christian you don't have to be thinking you've got to add to it because you cannot absolutely nothing needs to be added to what jesus did we sing the song from time to time jesus paid it all all to him i owe first excuse me first peter chapter 3 Verse 18 says, for Christ also suffered once for sins. Once for sins. Now, what happens when you sin? What typically happens when you sin? I get into a guilt complex. I'm guilty. Typically, you're you're tripping up in, in guilt yourself. And then we think, oh... I'll fix it and I'll do better. And somehow that little sneaky thinking comes in about, oh, I'll I'll pay things back. I'll be a better person. And you're relying on your own strength. And the Bible is just saying, you know what? You've already been, what? You've already been forgiven. So how does this work in? How do I respond when I really, when I know I've really sinned and I'm really guilty because of my sin? It's not that difficult. It's not that complicated. You and I make it complicated. All we need to remember is, you know what? I've got to confess this to God. So I will, I I need to confess to God my sin. 1 John 1 9. If, if anyone confesses his sins, right? He is faithful. And just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I might have to do that more than once a day. Do you? Yeah. But yet, that's the pattern that's laid out for us. Deal with it. So, the reality is that we will be suffering, if we're living for Jesus... We're gonna be suffering. And second Timothy three, verse twelve says, All who desire to live godly for Christ or in Christ Jesus, what? Will suffer persecution. You'll suffer persecution. It's promised, it's it's given, it's it's gonna happen. It happened in the book of Acts. You you read through the book of Acts and you see what happened. They got persecuted, and then it's like they got sent out because of the persecution, but Everyone didn't even realize here's God's plan. That was in God's plan to get them all sent out so that the gospel message would, what? Spread. So, sufferings for the believer have a purpose. Okay? Um, I wanted to read a little section here. This is Warren Wearsby. He's talking about this business of, of suffering. And he says it's important to note that these sufferings had nothing to do with the sacrificial sufferings of Christ on the cross. Paul's sufferings, what Paul's referring to, saying these sufferings of Paul, they had nothing to do with the sacrificial sufferings of Christ on the cross. Only the sinless Lamb of God could die for the sins of the world. Okay? Um, The sacrificial sufferings of Christ are over. But his body, the church experiences suffering because of its stand for the faith and its alignment with who with jesus okay so got to understand that there's the difference and so uh, but these sufferings have a purpose let it be the reason why does it have to happen we don't know all the answers but the bible does give us a number of answers suffering is for the strengthening of god's people Suffering is for the strengthening of God's people. It brings courage to others. It brings courage to others. Now, do you see why he's rejoicing? That's a part of it. Because he knows what it's going to do in the life of other believers. What else is it for? Why does suffering happen? Why does the the difficulty and the tribulations happen to us? Why? Why? Another reason why is not just the strengthening of God's people, but the purification to purify us, to help purify us. When many of us, whether we heard it on the news or we read about it, when the martyrs, uh, when the missionaries were martyred in Ecuador back in the 1950s, what did that do? You know, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, some of these other guys that gave their lives for that Indian tribe, those guys, some of those guys had revolvers, they're packed, they're ready, but they didn't, they, they were speared to death, and what did that, what does that do for us as as, as the audience, as the listeners, what does that do? And it ought to strengthen us. And it ought to purify us. Okay? When suffering happens, growth happens. Faith is strengthened in genuine believers. Turn over to Romans chapter 5 really quickly. Keep your mark in Colossians 1. And turn back to Romans chapter 5. Paul, writing this letter, says it in Romans chapter 5 in verse 2 through 4. He says, um, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace, it's talking about Christ, in which we stand. We stand in this grace, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. We exult in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. Okay? So, the reason is there, and it's clear. God wants to grow us. And a lot of times He does it through suffering, through tribulation. Mark down First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. Another reference there. Just remember this. Regarding the reason behind the suffering of the believer. Just know that the world is not done persecuting Jesus. It's not about you. It's about Jesus they don't like. But what's our problem? When is the last time I suffered in that way? When is the last time you suffered as a Christian? You know, it's it's in, it's due in large part to our surroundings and what we're used to and growing up in all of them, you know, freedom in America and all, all the wonderful things. We're a blessed country. We are. We're a blessed city here in Fallon. We're blessed. And again, I'm not trying to um kick us and make us feel guilty, but somehow it's like I guard myself, I keep myself guarded from situations that I know I'm going to suffer in. And Peter says, don't be, don't be caught suffering for doing something that's wrong, for sinning. <laughs> but suffer for Christ's sake. And now we get to let her see the response. The, the Christian response is to Rejoice. And the gospel is the source, or Jesus, is the source of our rejoicing. It's got to be that way. It's not because of how, oh, this guy, he knows, he knows the Bible really well, and he's really a, a super dude, and he can rejoice in suffering. I wish I was like him. It, no, it's about Christ in you. and it's the response is not to be a recompense for our sin either right like many of our friends seem to understand oh i i better go to uh, i better go to confession i better do penance because i've sinned and see that's not accurate interpretation of this passage nor of the new testament it contradicts the new testament in regards to what we just said and what I just mentioned about Christ having finished His work. Now listen, it's only when you and I understand God's divine design behind the sufferings, behind the trials, behind the afflictions that you can respond with rejoicing because our natural response to suffering is wah, 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 I complain. And you do too. Right? We, we have that response. That's our natural response. And yet, here's the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Oh, come on. Love. Thank you. Love. Joy. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's not natural. That's supernatural. It's fruit. It's not a work. It's fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Do you have Christ within you? If so, then what's the fruit of your life? Ought to be the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? So, it's, this is joy in spite of circumstances. And yes, there's many situations in life where it's very, very difficult. It's very hard because of the, the weight of the pressures. And yet, you can rejoice don't keep your eyes on the situation. Keep your eyes on the Savior through His Word. Matthew five ten through 12. Look at that really quick. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. This is one of the first uh, messages that we have recorded of Jesus in the Bible. One of the first messages that He gave. One of his first sermons that is recorded in the Word of God. Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Right? That's, here's our behavior Our behavior in life, our conduct in life is aligned with our Savior. And it's because of Jesus saying, because of me, you'll be persecuted. And he's saying, verse 12, rejoice and be glad. What does the King James say? Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. And all of us can sit in here and go, yeah, that's, yeah, that's good. My problem is, I'm having a tough time doing that in the day-to-day activities. And you are too. Why? Why? I don't want any responses. I just want, I want you to think. Why? Why am I not rejoicing? Why? And give that thought and let that sink in. And next time, later today, (laughs) maybe... Later today. An example will come up. Why am I not rejoicing in some of these things? I'm too concerned about my own agenda. Myself and what's going on. I have that interpretation of the Christian life. That's my response. Everything funnels through me, right? Everything funnels through you, right? And until we put, so to speak, the, the glasses on to have the biblical perspective, we're going to keep complaining rather than rejoicing in suffering. Another, you know, Paul's point is is not only that he's rejoicing, but who's he rejoicing for? For himself? That he's doing a good job for Jesus? No, he's rejoicing for their sake because of what the suffering will do. And he's setting an example So, and let's face it, I'll say this one more and then we'll move on, okay? This is kind of one of those digs, okay? Right? Without any true suffering, we get more and more comfortable. And if we aren't careful, then we get really spiritually out of shape and flabby. And so, why do I go running away from suffering? Why do I hide? Why do I guard against suffering when actually God's intention is what? To bring about strength and growth and purity in His people. And so, there's a lot to think about in point number one. (laughs) Point number two. Let's move on. Point number two is serve faithfully serve faithfully. He says, this is of which I have become a minister. He said that twice now. And Paul uses this word, diakonos, to say, I'm a minister. And so, uh, letter A is, we serve faithfully by his pattern. By his pattern. A diakonos is a A deacon. Okay? Interesting word that he uses here. Paul was not a deacon in our understanding of the word deacon. He wasn't an official deacon in a church, was he? He was a church planner. He was a a pastor. He was proclaiming the word. But he's a deacon at heart. He's a deacon at heart. The use of the word simply targets the concept of servant's heart in ministry. Jesus himself said of himself, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That's the pattern that Jesus gave. Paul is simply following this pattern of being a servant. And Jesus, in that statement, it's Mark chapter 10 verse 45, he used that same diakonos word in his statement. It's it's a person that has a servant's heart. And you know what? We saw that you ladies saw that throughout the, the weekend. Here's servant's heart in action. And we have it to some extent here at Parkside, but guess what? I'm the pastor and I want to come on, we need more. <laughs> we need more servant hearts. And that's what we're encouraged by from Paul's example. It's not that we are thinking, long shot, I'm going to be, I want to be up there at that level with that title. No, 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 no. It's a matter of start where you're at and serve. Be faithful in this. Okay? And these are the kinds of leaders that any church wants, where they're just going to serve because that's their heart. They've got a servant's heart. And I, I rejoice in the fact that we have many in this room right now. You, you have a servant's heart. You see something and you want to help and serve in that. And that's faithful serving. Okay? There's other kinds of words that are used to describe this. Of Paul uses them of himself. It's the word, and we're familiar with this one, doulos. Doulos. He uses it in other, other uh, passages and that means a bond slave, emphasizing one's total submission to his or her master. You not it's like the doulos doesn't do anything until he, he or she hears it from the master. That's the idea. And Paul was Christ's servant fully and completely. His attitude was, I'm not worthy. He just kept saying, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of this. Now stop and ask you know or let this sink in a little does that sneak into our thinking at all like i you know i how can i pat myself on the back kind of thing of of this promotion or this deal or whatever i'm 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 good enough how often does that sneak in it's because again here's here's a a response that shows who's really on the throne of your life it's more about you than about christ and so we want, we want that response to say, no, 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 I'm not worthy. He's not worthy of any credit. What was he? He's a simple servant, a servant of the king. What would happen in a king's palace if the servant got the spotlight all the time? He wouldn't be a servant very long. You're out of here. Get, you know, go, go. A servant is just going to do his job, get after it. Why? Because the king said so. And that's the idea behind Christian ministry. Letter B, it's also our privilege, our privilege. Because Paul goes on to say, according to the stewardship from God, the stewardship from God or the commission that God's given us, The idea of stewardship is the idea of management. Uh, in other words, here's a steward and here's a manager. Uh, mark down Luke 16, verse 10 in your notes. Luke 16, verse 10 is illustrating a ne- in a negative sense a steward. And then in verse 10, Jesus in the, in the illustration gives this. He says, he who is faithful in a very little matter is faithful in much. There's the principle in it. It's a privilege. So if we have a little thing to do or a, a, a great grand thing to do, it's a matter of being a faithful steward for the king. In any ministry, in any ministry of the church, it's God who calls, it's God who then equips And and then God's bestowed the gift to the person also. Now, it's something that we as a church here, we want to help train people, Ephesians chapter 4, for the what? The work of the ministry. It's the idea that the saints, we as the saints do the work of the ministry. And here in church, we hire pastors so that pastors can help train people. Ministry is about what? Programs? Guess what? We got a new program and we're going to have a, you know, this, this, this for a program. Well, that's not ministry. It's about people. We always have to remind ourselves as leaders. It's about people and we have to remind each other. It's about people and the gospel. Okay. So God has called us into ministry. He's called us into his family. Therefore, He's called us into serving him, and he's placed us in this privileged position to represent him. Mark down Second Corinthians chapter five. We've mentioned it last week. We'll mention it again in chapter five of Second Corinthians. He says, "This is we have. it's our possession. We have the ministry of reconciliation. That's the context we're in here in Colossians one. and therefore now we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So, serve faithfully. It's by His pattern, and it's our privilege. Okay. Number three, and this is where we look at um, Colossians chapter one, verse twenty-six and twenty-seven. He says that this mystery, which has been hidden from uh, from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to His saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Number three in our outline is submerged, submerged completely submerged completely for for ministry for genuine gospel ministry the idea is that each member of the body would have this idea of being submerged completely in these things in letter a this mystery letter a under number three is be submerged completely in this mystery well what's that what's the mystery look at verse 26 he says that this uh mystery the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations that's the old testament old testament they didn't understand exactly what was coming they knew of a redeemer or a messiah that would come and they were hoping their their great hope was for the messiah to come but they didn't understand it all and especially when jesus shows up and says i'm the messiah what did they want him to do do a miracle and kick out the Romans and take political power. That's what their understanding was about here's here's what the Messiah is going to do. They had no clue he was going to go to the cross. And Peter led the ranks and said, hey, no, 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 you can't do that, Lord. And Jesus said to him, what? Get behind me, Satan. Okay? So now... For those of us who have come to faith in Christ, the idea is that we'd be submerged completely in these things, in this mystery. The mystery is, once um, uh, veiled, it's covered up; it's not totally understood. But now is revealed. Meaning what? Christ is has died. He was buried and he rose again. There's the mystery revealed it's not some secret society thing you know like here's a uh, you know the mystery move to get into the club you know it's not some secret you know password or something like that the idea is that a mystery in the bible is a truth once hidden now it's revealed and this truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And more specifically, he says in verse 27, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The indwelling of Jesus Christ in you is the centerpiece of Christianity. The indwelling of Christ in you is the centerpiece of Christianity. So this, so, and so forms the hope of glory. If Christ is in you, then you have the hope of glory. And always remember, it's about a person, not a structure, not a system. It's about a person. If we as a congregation can keep that in mind, that Christianity is about the person of Jesus, not a system of belief, we will be much better off. And you walk and live your life in such a way to please that person. Jesus. And the truth is, if you're completely submerged in that idea of here's gospel thinking, then what will happen with ministry? What will happen with ministry? If I'm gospel oriented in my mind, then I get involved in ministry and I'm going to be like a fire. To say, you know, it's about the gospel. It's not about some church tradition. Letter B, it's not just submerged in the mystery of letter A, but you're submerged for His mastery. For His being the master. Letter B. His mastery over every area of our life for effective ministry. And it's for his glory. Again, if you're writing notes, mark down 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Second Corinthians 4, verse 6. Because here it's being stated that Christ shines in our hearts so that we can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And regarding, listen, we're almost done here, but regarding this ministry. And the idea of thinking about church ministry and how I gotta be involved in it, don't get shortchanged here. That's what we so easily fall for. We get satisfied with just knowing certain facts, and we think that's good enough. Oh, just, I just know some certain facts and then I'm fine. No! That's not the idea of, of effective gospel ministry. It's like, if I just, you know, playing the devil's advocate here, if I just am satisfied with just knowing some facts, isn't it just a matter of just getting into heaven anyway? I mean, isn't that what Christianity is about? If that's what you're thinking, you need to understand you've got to mature into adult, you know, into, in, you know, into the Christian faith. You need to mature more into the things of God in faith. See, folks, God has so much more for us than just thinking, oh, I've got the facts down and I'm going to heaven. He wants you involved in ministry. Now, it's not to say everyone's got to be like Paul in this passage and say, oh, Paul, Paul's man, he's the, the monster model of Christianity. He's really the A1 guy. Well, yeah, he's, he's used of God greatly, but God wants to use you in church ministry. Again, what did I say at the beginning? You know, about being on the team. If you say you're a Christian, you know, you've got the uniform, let's say. Are you involved in the games? And here in this light, here's the games. It's, it's ministry for the glory of God. God wants to show us so much more. He's got... So much more in store for us to show us his mighty acts. And that is done here as we serve him in and through the local church. As you think and consider this, it's about gospel-centered, gospel-driven church ministry. The more you study it, the more you see it as a service of getting the gospel message flowing from the Word, into me, and out to others. Right? I'll say that one more time. It's the ministry is the the service of having the gospel in me and flowing out to others. Do you know the gospel? Do you know the gospel? So that you can, in a sense, translate things through your thinking, to situations in life. And there's wisdom and there's maturity. And that's what the church is about. To help grow people in maturity in the faith. Okay. So, number three then was submerged completely. And I'll I'll, uh, just end it with this thought. Here's why I figure that number three is what it is, submerged completely. Would you take your Bible and turn to this final passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to look at verse 13. You say that you're a Christian. If you say you're a Christian, then you look at what verse 13 says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. And what was the term used in describing how God placed you his children into the body. What was the term used? Baptized into. You're baptized into. Now <laughs> that's not a partial thing, my friend. That's not in a partial way that God did that. When God says He baptized you, it doesn't mean He did the halfsies on you. You know, kinda halfsies got you part way into the body. No, the idea of baptism was that you are submerged, you are immersed into the body of Christ. Now, how then can, I'll just use myself, if I'm the one, how can I then not be a part of the action, a part of the games, a part of what, you know, ought to be happening on the team that I'm a part of? What am I doing? And so it's with these, this passage and these words that I encourage you about gospel ministry. And if you, you know, I, you know, young and old, it, it's not a, a, an age requirement thing. Young and old, we want involvement, and we want, you know, it's like that thing of saying, yeah, we need help. I think we still need a nursery director, yeah. We still need a nursery director. Now, it's not just anyone that we want. Hey, yeah, you, guy, come on. You want to be the nursery director? Come on. No, it's not just anybody. On certain things, we've got to say, hey, you know, we want to, let's interview. Let's talk with you. Let's pray about this. Let's ask some questions. Because you don't want your little child, your little infant in there with just any Joe Schmo. So that's a part of what we're dealing with in ministry. But once we get involved, we want it to be gospel-centered and gospel-driven, not just for the sake of a program. Okay? Now, next week, what we will dive into is more of the the specific business of ministry and what's really driving it. And that's what we'll see next week as we finish up chapter 1 in Colossians. Yay! Finally get to finish chapter 1 next week. Okay? Okay? so, so what? So what with this? What will you do, Christian? What will happen? I've talked about, if we could make up a new word, I've talked about bodyology. You like that? It just rolls right off the tongue. Bodyology. And if you're not really involved in any ministry, that's really an anomaly for bodyology. Everyone ought to have a part in bodyology. So start praying, asking God for his leading of how and where you can start ministering in Christ's body. And you who are already serving faithfully, ask yourself, really, what is my motive? Am I gospel-driven? Am I gospel-centered in my my ministry? Nursery, children's uh, ministries, or adult ministries, doesn't matter what it is. Is it gospel-driven? Is it gospel-flavored? And those of you that still aren't sure of where you stand in all this, if you've not been reconciled with God, we say it like the Scriptures say it, we beg you, we beg you, be reconciled to God on behalf of Christ. Come to faith in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Him. Turn, understand, you have messed up relationship with your Creator because of your sin. And God, in His wisdom and in His love, has brought about an answer, and it's Jesus Christ. Okay. If you have not yet come to faith in Christ, I'd love to talk to you as soon as we're done here. I would love that. There's other people sitting right nearby you that would love to talk to you, and it's not that. It's not really that difficult. But it is of utmost importance. This is of eternal importance that you get right with your Maker. And it's only through Jesus Christ that you can do that. Let's pray. Dear Lord... We are by no means a a perfect church. We certainly have a lot of hurts and a lot of needs. We struggle, we stumble, we fall. But Lord, please help us to be a people that turn to Jesus each and every time. Lord, that we would find that our strength is in, in you, Lord. You, Lord Jesus, you are our all in all. You are our strength. You are our shield. Lord, seal your word to our hearts here and help us in not just uh, having it kind of nailed down, but Lord, please bring application to our hearts and minds. Reveal to us what we can do. Help us in being uh, one that serves faithfully help us lord to understand the the thinking behind your thinking behind suffering that we would start rejoicing in suffering and lord that we would um remember that you don't want us partially uh involved in things you want us wholly involved because we've been baptized in your body uh fully immersed in your body fully planted in your body and Lord, we want to be a people that constantly are identifying with Jesus. Not just in in death against sin, but in life, uh, for newness of life. Lord, please work in my heart in this. And please work in the hearts of your children here this morning. Uh, May your spirit uh, do a, a mighty work as a result of this time. Help us to reach Fallon with the gospel and the love of Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen.